Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we chat with our friend Murat Atesh of The Athletic about the Jets' not-so-great start to the season so far. Plus, Morley Scott joins us, the voice of the Elks, to preview not just Elks versus Bombers, but Oilers versus Jets as well. A lot of Edmonton versus Winnipeg this weekend coming up on the podcast. But we start with the Winnipeg Jets, who last night dropped a 5-3 decision to the Vegas Golden Knights to fall to 1-3 and on the year break down what we've seen so far in the opening week and a half from the team we're joined by Murat Atesh who covers the Jets for the Athletic Murat thanks for coming on tonight hey thanks for having me Christian so last night's game it was exciting they came back but in the end defense it's been a problem so far this year what what from your eyes has been the biggest challenge for this team and keeping goals out of their own net yeah you know it's funny with a team that should be able to celebrate its goaltending tandem of Laurent Brassois and Connor Hellebuck um, to be giving up as many goals, at least four every time they play, something's going wrong. And the number one thing is not flow of play. It's not that they're getting hemmed in their zone all of the time. Is that some of their plays just involve such awful giveaways right now where they're turning pucks over uh, in dangerous spots, and they're getting counterattacked really, really quickly. Uh, you saw that a couple of times against Vegas. The most notable, I think, Dylan DeMello got pickpocketed by local product Brett Howden to set up Brett Howden's goal. Um, and it's just a case of making errors a little bit too casually and a little bit too dangerous a context that, that I'm seeing from the Jets so far. Goaltending, has it been a problem? How would you classify what we've seen from the duo? Well, it hasn't saved problems uh, in the way that you traditionally expect from the Jets. You know, I have a really high impression of both goalies and obviously Connor Hellebuck in terms of year in, year out. He could win a Vesna in any given season. And he started seasons with these types of goals against numbers before and then come around and been one of the best goaltenders on the planet, if not the best goaltender on the planet. But you can't look at those goals against numbers and say that goaltending is saving this team. And they could use that right now. One of the interesting things for me, Christian, is that I look at a lot of the analytics, right? And for goaltenders, they talk about goals saved above expected. So where did that shot come from? What kind of shot was it? Um, All the different contexts that goes into how difficult a shot is supposed to be. Connor Hellebuck is normally one of the league leaders in terms of goals saved above expected goals. And right now he is near the bottom and his three game stretch and the three games that he's played are as bad as maybe only two or three other stretches of his entire career. We ran the numbers on that at the athletic and that needs to change whether it's on him or the chances Winnipeg has given up. It's just, it's not sustainable to keep going like that. So they get the big test of the Oilers tomorrow night, another team that's 1-3. Uh, offensively, have you liked what you've seen from this team so far? Because other than the L.A. game, it, it's, it's looked pretty good, right? Yeah, and you know, even in the L.A. game, that first period, you know, I went back and I watched it again, and there were scoring chances that I even missed live that uh, you know, the Jets were really creating. And then, of course, the, the next two periods, they really were not. Uh, but the overall course of the season Winnipeg has been able to get into the offensive zone they have been able to get various different kinds of chances it's not just pass it back to the point and pray it's not just um, coming off the wall they have transition offense they have shots from the slot they have point shots and deflections Uh, so 
They even have Cole Perfetti getting robbed on that paddle saved by Logan Thompson. And if folks haven't seen that one, that's a, that's a highlight you might want to see. Um, so I think they're creating chances. I think they're scoring fine and, and maybe have even created more chances they could use. It would be fair to say they deserve a couple more goals. So I, I feel okay about their offense. For me, it's really just about those egregious giveaways defensively. And honestly, Christian, probably the penalty kill as well deserves some some criticism so far. So the top line last night was mostly Mason Appleton with Kyle Connor and Mark Scheifele. Rick Bonus said that they'd liked what they'd seen from that trio before, even though if you look at the, the numbers last year, they were outplayed, they were outscored. When they were together, we saw that again last night. Analytically, that line was by far the the worst for this team. So fair to say we should expect Mason Appleton to maybe not be their right winger tomorrow night? I don't think that change is coming. I, I don't know that that's, you know, the, the metrics are really what bonus is going by on this. I think he's making that decision by feel. I think he really values Appleton for a couple of things. One, he's one of the few remaining right-shooting wingers now that Gabriel Velarde is hurt. Two, there's a very specific context on defensive zone draws leading into a breakout. He trusts Appleton on the on the right wing boards. That doesn't add up to positive metrics. It doesn't add up to him helping that line out chance the opponents. And I think that it's a situation where maybe his feel or his stylistic preference is going against the grain of what uh, of what results would say. Uh, but I still think that Appleton is, is Bonus's first choice to step into that role. Um, and I think that that's one of, if you're going to criticize something about the Jets, and it's it's weird, I feel like they've played so well given their 1-3-0 and record so far, but uh, the amount of minutes that uh, a guy like Appleton is going to get right now, and he's probably ideally a third or fourth line right wing. Meanwhile, you have Nikolai Ehlers, Cole Perfetti, that whole second line, like several minutes behind his behind Appleton's minutes on the average night. Um, you know, Winnipeg isn't playing all of its best players as often as possible, and, and that might help as well. That's been a kind of a theme, though, for this team for a couple of years, hasn't it? Where Ehlers isn't getting the minutes, and sometimes we wonder about the deployment and, and look at someone like Dylan Sandberg now, too, who's been one of the better defenders on this team, but they started last night in a third-pairing role. Uh, I, we, we're allowed to question the decisions. I mean, that's that's part of what we do, right? Well, of course it is, yeah. And, you know, we we see what we see and, and fans see what fans see and, and all of this sort of stuff, so... You know, when you see a guy like like Nikolai Ehlers over several seasons post more points per minute of his own ice time than any other Jet, you think, well, okay, Winnipeg would do better offensively, just crank up the Nick Ehlers minutes. And, you know, it's clear that Bonus and other coaches, too, have preferred that Connor Shifley combo with perhaps somebody else most often. So that's okay. That makes Ehlers a second-line winger. And to the coaching's credit, or at least not to their criticism, Ehlers has started slow, and he hasn't been that incredibly dynamic player. Two assists against Vegas, to be sure, but I think he's showing some of the rust and timing issues that come with uh, being injured during training camp and missing time. But we've seen that that trend where he doesn't get necessarily a whole lot of minutes unless there's interesting circumstances like an injury to Gabe Velarde that now Ehlers is on that first power play. Cole Perfetti as well. I mean, he doesn't have as lengthy of a track record of being so productive, but his metrics are great. His goal last night was great. He had many chances. And it's just interesting to see. My read of it is that the coach doesn't necessarily trust those players in defensive situations. 
even if at the end of the night you count up all the chances for and against, they're not giving up a lot. I think it's their size. I think it's their puck battles and things like that, where by feel, I don't think Bonus trusts them as much as other players defensively, and I think that eats into their minutes, even though they create more than what they give up. So if it was up to you, because Gabriel Velarde's out for four to six weeks here, and it's going to be a while still, who do you think fits that top-line right-winger role the best of the players they currently have? Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on that. And one goes back to Ehlers playing with Connor and Shifley for just just the first couple of minutes, first couple of games, pardon me, last season. They produced some offense. They gave up some scoring chances, too, to to be real. But that was a really nice look in a pure offensive role, I think, to start last season. Ehlers has had success playing with those players before. If it's not going to be him, and if you're looking for somebody who's going to win the battles and be more of a dogged puck pursuit type player, I might think of a Nino Niederreiter, who's also played on his off wing, the right wing side, many, many times. And no, he's not a right shot like Mason Appleton, but he will win those battles and he will get the puck out in the offensive zone. He will win battles on the boards, get to the net, get that shot volume as well, helping keep Connor and Shifley and other, uh, in, in better offensive contexts. I just think that despite Appleton's reliability, and believe me, I I respect the player, especially in a bottom six role, I just don't think he comes with the dynamic offense or he's going to be able to create enough to warrant those top-line minutes that he's getting right now. On the back end, we saw Nate Schmidt get scratched last night. We saw Logan Stanley come in and and be okay. Um, But overall, what do you feel about the current deployment of defenders and what do you think would be the ideal pairings right now? Yeah, it's a little bit tough because on any given night so far this season, you know, those giveaways I talked about, you can't really exempt most players. I mean, even that top pairing of Josh Morrissey and Dylan DeMello, which works so well. Morrissey's offense has been terrific, especially over the last couple of seasons. DeMello is that safe stay-at-home player who moves the puck very well. His breakouts tend to be so reliable. He transitions the puck well. Usually, if you count... uh, three or four passes back. Maybe Morrissey gets a second assist, two forwards get points, but Dylan DeMello had something to do with the breakout. Well, even he, like I mentioned earlier, got victimized, gave the puck away to Howden, leads to a goal against. Uh, Dylan Sandberg has been one of Winnipeg's best defenders. uh, And to start off the game against Los Angeles, he flips the puck over the boards and there's some giveaways later. So that that puck over the glass was a penalty. There, There are things that you don't like from some of Winnipeg's best defensemen. Uh, So in terms of rearranging the pairings to protect the Jets, I think you have to stick with Morrissey and DeMello. I think that that, uh, they've done so much for so long, you just assume it's going to start working again. And then I like Dylan Sandberg with Neil Pionk, who I think has had a, a stronger start to this season than last, which was clearly a struggle. And for me, it's just that third pairing of what are you going to get the most of? Is it Brendan Dillon? Is it Nate Schmidt together? Uh, Does Logan Stanley have a role in that? Declan Chisholm maybe would step up. And if you can shelter him, uh, he'll help move the puck up the ice. I think it's a case, after all of those words, Christian, where Winnipeg has more, I'm going to say, bottom pairing level defensemen on a Stanley Cup caliber team than they do have top four type defensemen. And it's going to be an issue for a little while. Uh, with the personnel that they have. I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, The floor is yours. Christine Sinclair, your thoughts? I mean, what greatness. What years and years of greatness. 
uh, most international goals of all time in women's soccer and uh, pure class for that Canadian women's national team. Uh, I'm certainly in in my life, just as a pure sports fan, her announcing her international retirement today. Um, it, uh, it's going to stay with me for, for multiple decades. She's just been as good as it gets. And I also respect the work she's done with that national team to, to help increase their visibility, to help inspire young women and girls around, around Canada, and even to help get them paid more than they've gotten. So nothing but respect. And certainly the day that she hangs up her cleats is going to be a sad day for Canadian sport. But what a celebration it'll be too. Marat, appreciate your, t- your time. Thanks for this. We'll see you at the rink next week. Thank you. Thanks, Christian. That's Murata Tash. He covers the Winnipeg Jets for The Athletic. I asked him about that because uh, he tweeted today that this is a, his Twitter account, uh, this is a Christine Sinclair fan account, basically. So, big soccer fan Murata is. We thought we'd ask him about, about that. Yes, Christine Sinclair announcing her retirement from international soccer. And the Jets tomorrow night are in Edmonton against the also 1-3 Oilers. The game starts on Power 97. It's a 9 o'clock start, 7 o'clock pregame coverage on Power 97 because the Bombers are playing on CGOB. Once the Bomber postgame show is over around 10 o'clock, we'll go to full coverage on both stations with the Jets at the Oilers. As we join now, 630 Ched, voice of the Elks, Morley Scott, Morley, how about this rivalry? All we got the the Golden Bears and Bisons, we got the Oilers, Jets, we got the Elks and Bombers. It's a great weekend for this city versus city rivalry. Yeah, it sure is. The doubleheader day tomorrow and uh, the big university game tonight. Both teams playing. Uh, I mean, it's the the Golden Bears. It's been a resurgence for them this year. They're five and one going into this game and a uh, chance to finish in first place uh, for the first time in a long, long time. Chris Morris has that program going now, and it's it's been a while, but. People are getting excited about the Golden Bears. I know uh, Tom Richards, who is uh, the head of the board for the uh, for the Elks, was pretty excited because he's a former Golden Bear and also uh, played for the Double E as well. And he was pretty excited to be heading to IG Field to watch that game tonight. So uh, he, he's there watching and cheering on his alumni. So the Golden Bears are probably going to have more wins this year than the Elks do, despite playing way less games. <laughs> so looking at the Elks since we last chatted, the last time uh, these two teams faced the Bobbers and Elks was that game where Drew Brown came in and led a big comeback win. The Elks have been better since then. They've won a bunch of games. They've won games at home. They've been frisky. But what do you feel they have to play for at this point in the season? Um, lots to play for. I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a football game. The professional athletes, first and foremost, they're playing for a game check, right? So uh, that's that's got to be at the top of their list. But uh, you know the old saying, Christian. It's like you know your your resume is the film, right? So uh, everybody's going to be uh, that film goes into uh, goes into the archives, and everybody's going to get a chance to look at it. Whether that be your own general manager and head coaches, they decide if he, if they want you back next year, if they want to re-sign you, or if they want to keep you, or other GMs who will watch it possibly after you get released or if you don't get re-signed by the Elks. So there should be a lot on the line. I know uh, the Elks are dressing, uh, are playing a couple of guys in, in new positions, but for the most part, they're going with their healthy lineup. And, and Chris Jones told me today that uh, they're going to get their reps. They're, they're not going to take people out and, and throw people in late in the game, especially at quarterback. Trey Ford's going to get the game and he's going to get an opportunity to play. Um, you know, and, and he's a guy who, who needs reps. And we've talked a lot about this. I mean, 
he's playing well and he's learning the game, but he hasn't played a lot of football in the last three or four years because of, uh, you know, he had a no season in COVID. Uh, then he had a shortened season the year after the COVID cancellation season. Uh, he only started three games last year. Uh, he started, uh, you know, since that Winnipeg game uh, in Edmonton uh, back in August and has started every game since then and played well. But he's still learning, so it's an important game for him. And, you know, to get better, you need reps, and the young guys are going to get it tomorrow night. After that Bombers 38-29 win on August 10th, the Elks won four to five games, and all of a sudden we're thinking, wait a second, are they going to sneak into the playoffs here? Because that race for that third seed in the West, not exactly scintillating, but then they lose to the Lions and Argos, and then uh, they're out of it. They lose to the Alouettes last weekend. Not that I, not that you know all this morally. I'm more or less doing this for our listeners. But uh, what have you thought was the strength of this team in that little run they had, and what's been their biggest weakness? Uh, their biggest weakness has been um, not being able to play a complete game. And, you know, you, you look at the Winnipeg game, up 22 nothing, ends up losing it. They had a 15-point lead on Labor Day against Calgary and lost. Uh, they had a 21-3 uh, lead against Montreal last week and lost. Uh, it's, that's been the story of their season. They, things, they get a play that blows up on them and, and it goes negatively and they, they have trouble regrouping and getting their game back on track. And that's something they're trying to fix, something they've really, you know, they, they had trouble at the start of the year coming out after halftime. Uh, they had sags at halftime. Chris Jones then started instituting a halftime at practice and practice was halted and they took a 10 minute break. And then they went back to work at practice because he wanted them to get in the, get in a rhythm of, of coming out strong after a break. So uh, they're, they've been trying to fix little individual problems all year. Early in the year it was drop passes. Uh, you know, they lose to Saskatchewan in, in week one, because they couldn't get a yard when they were first in goal at the one-yard line and had three cracks at it. They lose to Saskatchewan in Saskatchewan later because they don't run the ball out on a kickoff and end up losing by a point because of the Rouge. Uh, they had the three blown leads, as I talked about. Things could have been very different for the Elks this year, but it's all excuses now. They're going to miss the playoffs, and, and they're focusing on 2024. A 4-13 and record for this Elks team, and... Six wins might end up being enough to get into the playoffs. We'll see what happens these next uh, couple days and next couple weeks potentially. But is there a feeling that they're at least finally heading in the right direction? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think they feel that you know they could if they lose tomorrow, they'll finish the season four and fourteen, the same as last year. But I think they'll feel that they're in a better position than they were last year at the end of the year with a little more, a little more hope. And I, and I think that all comes from Trey Ford because. He's been so fun to watch. He's been so exciting. He's got a lot to learn as a quarterback still, but uh, he's he's really been the talk of the town. I mean, people are excited about Elks football for the first time in a long time now. People are coming out to see him play. Uh, people are talking about him. You know, the, the, the call-in shows, we're getting calls about Trey Ford. Usually it's about who they want to get fired and who they want to be cut, but now they're getting we're getting calls and people want to talk about the positive things about the team. So it's things have changed a little bit. They've, they've, they've won at home a couple of times this year. Uh, they, they got that streak finished with. Uh, then, you know, they, since they lost to Ford came in and they made the change during the bye week uh, at, at OC and at quarterback. And with Jarius Jackson calling the plays and with Trey Ford running the plays, it's been a very, very different looking offense. Uh, they lost to Winnipeg that first game, which they should have won with a 22 nothing lead. And since that game, they've gone four and four. So they've been acceptable uh, in the second half of the season, but 
they just dug themselves too big of a hole to start the year. I mean, you don't come back from 0-9, even in the CFL, I don't think. I don't believe it's ever happened before. The Elks, you know, valiant effort, but it, uh, it falls short with a couple of games to go. How's the fan base doing out there after a number of lousy seasons? Uh, you know what? They're, they're feeling better now uh, than they have the last couple of years. They finally got the win at home. Uh, it's, it's, I, will, I will give you this. It's been a tough three years for the Edmonton Elks fan base. There's no doubt about that. But attendance was, was pretty good this year. They had two crowds uh, of over 30,000. They averaged just under 25,000, 24,700. Uh, so, yeah, they're coming back. They made the change, the announcement last week that they're going to close the upper deck next year. So the capacity Commonwealth will go from about 55 to 31,000 next year. And they're going to try and create a better atmosphere for, for the games at home. Uh, and again, like I said, the crowd's excited to watch Trey Ford again. They see some hope for a change and uh and hopefully uh, hopefully that can continue into next year which is a long way away i know but uh hopefully that continues into next year and the crowds continue uh to come back and continue to be entertained well we know you're the voice of the elks but also an edmonton sports guy all around what's the feeling in edmonton about the oilers a one and three start oh my god what's going wrong Everything is going wrong. The panic button is being overused in Edmonton right now. It was everybody was ready to uh, to abandon ship when they were zero and two. Then they they won their first game and they won in a blowout in Nashville. And it says, okay, this is normal. And then they lose last night in Philadelphia, and everybody's back panicking a, a little bit. I, I you know what? I, I think that every team in the National Hockey League is going to go through a stretch where they lose two in a row, where they lose three or four. Uh, most times for good teams like the, uh, like the orders, it'll happen in February. It just so happens that this has happened in the first four games of the year. And that's got everybody upset and everybody worried. I'm fully confident that they will be a much better team and they'll, uh, they'll improve and they'll probably still get 50 wins or more and probably still be in the running for first place in the Pacific division by the time the end of the season rolls around. And when they'll go into the playoffs, I think is one of the teams to beat. This is just a little blip in the radar that every team gets. It's just magnified, I think, because it's the first four games of the season. What about the goaltending, though? I think that was a justifiable concern coming into this season. The last few years, it hasn't really been there. Stuart Skinner, Jack Campbell, neither has really done a lot to grab the crease so far. Is that a justifiable concern? Uh, I, I think so. You got to get your goaltenders going somehow. I mean, uh, Jack Campbell had a tough first year in Edmonton last year. He had he had uh, confidence issues, and and you know he underperformed while Stuart Skinner overperformed, and he was able to to become the number one guy and, and did the the bulk of the work in the playoffs for the Oilers. I think a lot of people thought Campbell would be better this year, and he was great in the in the preseason. He had uh, three starts in the preseason, and he stopped uh, got all three wins and stopped over 30 shots in all three games. So uh, he was good in the preseason, but then he gives up four on 16 shots to start the, start the season in Vancouver. And then Skinner comes in and he gives up four on 16 shots. And then they give up four more in the return match at home and, and lose to the Canucks at home. And that really started people to get uh, getting concerned about uh, the goaltending. I think that's fair because Skinner hasn't done it for more than, you know, a few months last year. Campbell has done it before, but he hasn't been able to have a real consistent career. And you got to think about the fact that a team, a pretty good team in Toronto, 
didn't really worry about him walking away from them. So what is it that they knew? And the owners signed him, you know, $5 million a year. That's a pretty big ticket. Um, and so far, he's he's underperformed, I think, last year and this year. So they're hoping somebody reaches up and grabs the crease and, and, and kind of gets on a roll here. But uh, right now, they're just, just rotating guys, and, and neither guy's been that good this season so far. So your prediction for tomorrow night then, uh, for both games, let's get both. Let's start with the Elks and Bombers. I got a funny feeling about, and, and I think I think for the for the Alex and Bombers game, it depends on what happens tonight in Vancouver, sure. right? And, and I think how the how the uh, Bombers will approach the game. And I, I, I'm I'm guessing if if uh, they clinch first place tonight, if Calgary somehow wins in Vancouver against the Lions, I'm, I'm guessing we won't see much of Zach Kolaris tomorrow. Maybe the first quarter. Uh, who knows after that? Um, and I think that's going to change about. But I I got a good feeling. I think the Elks have had a pretty good week. They've 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 had a pretty good attitude to the last couple of weeks. And I mean, the games these two teams have played have been very close all year. Even though uh, you know the Elks got up to a, a twenty-two nothing lead, the, the Bombers came back and and made that one very close in the game that was played in Edmonton, eventually winning. And then the game that was here in July, I mean, that was close too, six six at halftime, I believe it was. I think it was like. 16-14 in the third quarter. So that game went right down to the wire before the, uh, before the Bombers won it too. So uh, I, I think, I, you know, the Elks obviously don't need the game. There's no pressure on them. I, I don't know if the Bombers are feeling pressure. They're a pretty experienced team. I just got a feeling tomorrow night might be a good night for the Elks. You know, maybe it's my green and gold colored glasses. I don't know, <laughs> but that's just, uh, that's just the feeling I get. What about the hockey? Uh, I would guess uh, I, I think it's two struggling teams, and I think Winnipeg's struggling a little bit more than uh, than Edmonton is. But it's going to come down to uh, to goaltending. And Hellebuck, you know, he got the other night off, right, against Vegas, I believe. Yep, so that's right. Uh, he'll he'll be rested and, and ready to go. Who knows what's going to happen with the Oilers' goaltending? Uh, I think that'll be a close game, and the team with the best goaltending is going to win it. All right, you heard it here first, Morley Scott, the voice <laughs> of the Elks. We uh, we enjoy having you on. Thanks for this. <laughs> And picking the Elks and then sitting firmly on the fence for the yeah. hockey league. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's great. Morley Scott, the voice of the Elks on 630. Chad, you'll be in the visitor's booth. Derek Taylor, Doug Brown in the home booth tomorrow evening. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 630 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to